I heard you, like, ran into these things before. That's right. Wow, man. So, like, what did you do? I died. Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Highlights. With myself, the one that some claim to be logical, but I'm really just a big old psycho, it's Bread Roll. And with me, as always, is the man who's best described as a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. It's JT. Oh, what an intro again, Bread Roll. Thank you very much, and hello, everyone. I'll spread my butterfly wings as we talk. <laughs> I look forward to the, the majesty <laughs> coming out of your cocoon. If you, <laughs> <laughs> if you hear some flapping in the background, I'm just, you know, drifting off or floating up or whatever they fucking do well we need some kind of majesty to get through this review i'd imagine because we are of course talking about alien resurrection <laughs> which came out in 1997 now i haven't seen this movie half as much as the first two and even the third one really but um before you re-watch this one jt what were your kind of preconceptions or kind of memories of it as such well preconceptions where i didn't like it so let's just <laughs> go straight into that um, memories were very few and far between. I don't remember the first time I ever watched this. I imagine it was probably not long after it came out, being a big fan of the first two and a fairly big fan of the third one. So I imagine I would have jumped on this fairly quickly. I know I didn't go to the cinema or anything to see it, um, but I, I literally don't remember watching it for the first time. Like yourself, I've probably only seen this a handful of times, and that includes the time I watched it yesterday. Um so, yeah, I didn't really have any preconceptions other than the fact I wasn't going to enjoy it. Ah, fair enough. I was actually, we watched it last night. And even Rachel said, like, she barely, like, doesn't remember this movie. She's hardly watched it. I remember I came out in 97. I must have been around, so, like, bloody hell, like, 13 or 14, roughly. I remember getting it when it came out on video because it was available in Woolworths, which used to be, like, the best store on the high street back in the day. Um, and I gave my dad like a handful of my pocket money as I go and buy me Alien Resurrection. And I remember watching it and I remember sort of coming away thinking, okay, I've just watched an Alien movie, but it felt nothing like an Alien movie. And it just kind of always had yeah. that weird kind of feeling. There's the bits of it, rewatching it, there was actually some stuff that I was like, no, that's actually pretty good. And some of the aesthetics and the designs along the way, I was like, you know, I actually quite like this, but the fucking the plot is all over the place and just parts of it, as we'll discuss as we go on, just make no sense whatsoever and it is definitely my it still is my least favorite of the entire saga and that includes prometheus and covenant so this one's still right at the bottom for me i think the only things below it would be avp but we don't talk about them no they don't exist <laughs> so your dad gave you money to go and buy this were you 13 at the time <laughs> that's pretty mad this is an 18 rated film <laughs> yeah well, my, like i say my parents weren't really that fast i mean i'd earned that pocket money fair and square you know i'd washed a car or done the hoover and i'd done something so i just gave him the money <laughs> I was like, can you go up to the counter and buy me Alien Resurrection? Oh, right, no. So you gave them the money? Yeah. No, yeah, you didn't give me uh, the money no. to go and get it. <laughs> I, got, I thought you'd gone up to buy it. I was getting worried about Woolworths. I was like, no wonder they fucking shut down selling 18-rated videos to 13-year-olds. <laughs> no, I, I gave the money to my dad and made him go and pay for it. For uh, me, so he wouldn't do that. I no, mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just, they definitely didn't do that. I mean, it is a shame they went out of business, but that's definitely not the reason because they sold me Alien, so. <laughs> I'd like to think that wasn't the reason. Um, just to say, th this was made in 97. Was it the 2003 special edition you watched rather than the original cut? No, because I got this on release day, like in, well, probably about 98. Oh, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, for our, I'm talking about for our review. Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah, my apologies. Yeah, I watched the 2003 
well, it's not even the director's cut, is it? It's like a special edition because the director. Well, no, because you've got the same. You've got the same Blu-ray as me, I, I believe. And he talks. There's a little intro from the guy at the start, isn't there? The the director, and he says, "This isn't the director's cut. The theatrical cut is the director's cut." And I was like, "Well, you don't make sense talking, so let alone your filmmaking bloody sense." <laughs> Funny enough, uh, the director Jean-Pierre Jornet. I hope I'm probably saying it wrong. French guy, obviously. He didn't even yeah. speak English when he was directing this. We so actually had to have translators on set um, when he was filming <laughs> it. And I kind of understood what he said in that intro, because in all the like um, the anthology ones, you get the intro from all the directors apart from Fincher. Um, but like he says, like the movie he released in the theatres is his version, his director's cut. And then the one we watched was what they just called a special edition with restored scenes. But it's like, I kind of understand what you're saying, but it's also not necessarily how they kind of do things that way, is it? Like the director's cut is when they add all the bits in that the studio took out. Yeah, um, we obviously talked about it in the original Alien where they put bits in and then took bits out and made it shorter, which is obviously a strange one as well. Um, obviously, this was written by Joss Whedon, and we, you said there that the plot and everything's all over the place. But, I mean, there's I love Joss Whedon. I know there's been allegations about him recently. True or not, I don't know. He hasn't really come back with any answers. But I mean, I love Buffy, as you know. It's one of my favourite shows of all time. And he obviously did a few other bits and pieces as well. And I actually did meet him once. I went to these Buffy conventions, sad as it is, but I was a huge fan. Um, And I met Joss and he, he was a nice guy. I mean, I met quite a lot of the cast as well, but he was one of the ones who really stuck out because obviously he was the big cheese at the time. But yeah, he's proved he can he can write things, but I'm not sure what really went wrong with this. I think um, from what I've read, his script obviously is what sold the movie and got it commissioned. But then the director, Jean-Pierre Jeanette, made a lot of changes because the whole ending sequence, the whole kind of third act of this movie, as it were, was supposed to take place on Earth itself, which obviously never happened. Yeah. So I think his script, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Joss Whedon. Um, obviously, I know you are and stuff. But I know that he wrote this and they took that script and then a lot of it got changed. So although he's still credited, I don't think much of his script actually made it in. And I remember reading once or something like that. He thinks that his whole vision for the movie got lost in translation with how this director filmed it. But um, yeah, he is credited as being the writer, but even though apparently not a lot of his script actually made it to the screen. Yeah, actually, now now I'm thinking about it. And now you've said that he actually gave a speech at this convention and he was asked, you could ask questions. And one of the audience did ask him about this and he just kind of shoved it to one side and just went, don't ask me about that film. It's not what I intended. So that sort of ties into what you've just said. It's again, isn't it? Like we said, like every time there's a new Alien movie, it takes ages to come out and there's always all this turmoil behind the scenes, isn't it? Like one and two were the only movies that were like yeah. generally really good. But, you know, Alien 3 was just like a fucking train wreck, at least behind the scenes. And it seemed to be a kind of mm. similar theme for this particular movie as well. Yeah, I mean, this was five years after Alien 3. So, again, it's quite a big gap in the movie world, isn't it? It is, yeah. And this movie, um, this one actually had a budget of $75 million, And it came back with a worldwide gross of $161 million. Now, dollar bill-wise, $161 million is good, and it was good profit. But percentage-wise, that is the, least, the lowest performing of the, the four Alien movies up to this point. Yeah, I know it didn't do particularly well in the States, did it? Again, same as Alien 3, it was the one place where it, I wouldn't say it bombed, but it didn't perform as well as other regions and as well as it was expected to. Yeah, yeah, and again, a few more of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff is um, H.R. Geiger, who's famously created the Alien design, 
originally in the theatrical and VHS release of this, he wasn't credited and he actually sued Fox for not crediting him for his designs. And then from the DVD release onwards, obviously they put his name into the credits and officially um, promoted him. But it's just strange that they wouldn't have done his name because he's the alien design, that xenomorph is iconic with his work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And in this one, I mean, they are basically the same as in the first one. Obviously, there's a few different variations, but it's the same creature at the end of the day, isn't it? I did notice his name coming up quite, I mean, it comes up as the same as the other ones, but it's quite there and in your face. It's almost like they were sort of trying to get him in there to make sure he didn't kick off about it again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame him. Did you know that, um, obviously, we ended up with this French director who the only movie I've ever known that he's done before he did it a couple of years previously it was called the city of lost children and that starred ron okay. perlman and another guy who's in this movie is that siri again no that was actually <laughs> what i'm sat on squeaking so i do apologize i have a very squeaky uh, i'm actually sat on my bed everyone um uh, that's how <laughs> professional i am and it fucking squeaks so yeah apologies <laughs> i'll try not to move again maybe it's my butterfly wings extend maybe it is you've got like squeaky wings <laughs> <laughs> need to oil those buggers <laughs> so as i was saying jean-pierre Jeanette, he did a movie called the city of lost children it's a french movie it's actually really good um and it starred ron perlman who's in this and also a guy called dominic pinon i believe his name is and he's in this movie as well um but yeah, I assume that he did this a couple of years prior to Alien Resurrection. So I assume that's why he brought those two cast members on, because he worked with them beforehand. But originally, two directors that were, cons- no, three directors even that were considered for this was Peter Jackson, Danny Boyle and Brian Singer. But all of them kind of turned it down and were busy. Like Peter Jackson was probably filming another fucking 50 hour movie like Lord of the Rings or something at the time. <laughs> Yeah, Danny Boyle could have been interesting. That would have been a completely different take on it, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what he'd have come up with. And even Brian Singer, like his career was just on the rise around this time because he was doing the X-Men movies and they were probably the first kind of superhero movies outside of the Tim Burton Batman. So actually build a bit of traction before obviously like the MCU and everything we got now. But I think he was kind of busy and his career was on the rise and he had other things in his sort of schedule, I guess. Yeah, well, it's one of those things we'll never know, will we? Yeah. Um, a couple more bits about just the background before we get started. So the original script for this one was actually going to have, if you listen to this, you, you know what's going to happen. So Ripley gets cloned in this one, or a version of Ripley gets cloned, but it was originally going to be Newt who got cloned. That was from the original Joss Whedon script, but Fox said no because... They wanted Sigourney Weaver because Ripley is kind of integral to the Alien franchise, at least at that point, which I completely agree with. So they rewrote it so that yeah. um, she could be involved. And she actually quite liked the idea of the original script, which is one of the reasons she got on board. But I also think she came on board to the tune of the $11 million that Fox offered her as well. And you can't blame <laughs> her for taking a decent paycheck. But um, thankfully, she didn't no. come back because I still think she's really good in this, even though she's very different from the other three movies. Yeah, she is. Um, but yeah, you're right. The money obviously helped. So she co-produced this as well, didn't she? Which I'm sure was one of the sort of agreements you have with them. That was part of the deal. Um, but yeah, she is good. I mean, she's she's good in all of them, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And some of the bit later on scenes, there's some kind of almost sexualized scenes between Ripley and one of the aliens, which is not an uncommon thing in the Alien franchise, but Fox wanted to cut all that out. And Sigourney Weaver said, if you cut all those scenes out, I'm not going to take part in any of the promotional work for the movie. So they kept them all in. 
So this shows that obviously <laughs> she she is she does have a, a strong kind of like attachment to this franchise. She knows what makes it work, and she knows what the story is. You know, they actually you know say no, I want to keep those scenes in. Where some actors or actresses would be like, no, I'll just take the money and do what the studio says. But she was kind of like fighting the corner of the actual franchise and kind of what the fans would expect. That's really good. But like we said, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, certainly in the last couple of podcasts, this is her baby, isn't it? This whole franchise it is fucking scorny weaver, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, she's she's done a better job of this than Arnie's done with Terminator. Because after the first two Terminators, it all went <laughs> shit. I mean, I know Alien went a bit rocky, but his performance went downhill, whereas Sigourney Weaver stayed pretty consistent with her performance throughout, the, obviously, Alien 3 and 4. Yeah, she has. She's um, certainly helped to hold up a couple of quite shoddy movies. Alien 3, not not quite as shoddy. Spoiler alert about the end of this one, but, you know. Yeah, yeah well, we'll get there. <laughs> Slowly, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any surprises about what we're going to say. I mean, there are some good points, which we'll, we'll obviously discuss as we go on. Yeah, no, I, like I say, I actually found myself surprisingly enjoying parts of this movie. You know, they didn't come thick and fast like some of the others, but they were there. So let's have a quick look at the cast and characters before we get started. So as we mentioned, we've got Sigourney Weaver. She's not quite reprising her role. She plays Ripley 8 in this one. And then we've got Winona Ryder playing a character called Cool. Now, originally, the studio wanted Angelina Jolie to play this character, but she turned it down. And Winona Ryder was like quite adamant about getting the part. She's a big fan of the franchise and ended up getting cast. And she does a pretty good job in this, I think. She does, and I'd actually forgotten she was in it until I rewatched this yesterday. Completely forgot. And I was like, "Fuck me, yeah, well, Nona Ryder is in this, and yeah, she she is pretty good in it." Yeah. One thing I will say, as we go through and we're talking about this, I'm really vague on some of the characters' names. If I just say that bloke or that mate over there, you have to bear with me because I didn't really pick up on many of their names. <laughs> to be honest, they all do kind of blend together. I'm pretty good at remembering movie names. I can't remember real people's names in real life at work. I can't remember anyone's name. I'm all <laughs> like, all right, mate, and stuff. But if I watch a movie, I can generally remember character <laughs> names. I don't know what it is. But um, we've yeah. also got an actor called J.E. Freeman playing a guy called Dr. Wren. Now, originally, he's kind of like the villain of this movie, but the original people considered were Bill Murray and William H. Macy, and I just think, I like Bill Murray as an actor, but apparently he's a complete dick to work with, but he would have been far too hammy and cheesy to have been a villain in an alien movie. Oh, Bill Murray just, yeah, he's just Bill Murray in every film, isn't he? He's good at what he does, but he has to be in a specific role, otherwise it just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, you imagine like Peter Venkman, or like, what's his name, from Groundhog Day, prancing <laughs> around with some aliens, it would have just been fucking shit, well, I mean, shit anyway, but it would have been worse. Maybe Disney will pick up on that for when they start getting in the, into it. Maybe. And then we got the great Brad Dorif <laughs> playing a Dr. Gediman. Then we got Michael Wincott, who I'm, I actually quite like a lot of these actors. Brad Dorif is the voice of Chucky, so he deserves credit for that. But Michael Wincott, I'm a big fan of. He plays Elgin. Then we got the great legendary Ron Perlman, Big Ron, playing Jonah. <laughs> then we got a guy called Gary Dur- Durden playing Christy. And then we've got Dominic Pinon, who I mentioned earlier, who was in the City of Lost Children with Big Ron, playing a character called Vreese. So those are our characters who JT will most likely forget as I go on, but I'll, I'll remind you. Um, no, most of those names did pop back into my head as you said them. One thing I will say before we actually start, I didn't gel with any of these characters throughout the film. Christy, I thought, was actually all right, and he, he goes out in quite a good way. But the rest of them, even Ron Perlman's character, I just, 
I just couldn't bond with any of them. Winona Ryder maybe a little bit, but I just thought none of them were particularly likeable. And when they get picked off, um, spoiler alert again, I wasn't upset. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think they have character in their own right and they're kind of introduced well when you first meet them on their ship, which we'll get to. But yeah, like you say, they don't, they don't really resonate like, you know, like Parker and Brett or like Vasquez, Hicks, Hudson and stuff. They're just kind of throw away, even though they're played by really good actors. Yeah, I thought that. I thought the actors were wasted a little bit because there are some good names in there, but just none of them really did anything for me. I just was like, okay, when one of them died. Yeah. So the movie opens up with some of the shittest CGI I've ever seen. And thankfully, it turns out to be a bug <laughs> and not an alien. <laughs> but this bug gets squashed by some weird dude and he's looking at the goo on his finger as the shot slowly pans out revealing a large ship, the USS Eureka as the name of the casting crew appear on screen, the camera zooms out and we just see a big shot of the ship going past the planet we then get a shot moving through some labs as a large specimen tank containing a growing Ripley is shown with an overture from Ripley saying, my mummy always said there were no monsters, no real ones but there are we then cut to a medical procedure as a fully grown Ripley is laying unconscious and a caesarean, for lack of a better term, is being performed and the alien queen is removed from her. Dr. Gediman asks Wren if they can keep Ripley alive. Wren agrees. Ripley awakens. She sees the hole in her chest and breaks the arm of the doctor who is attending to her. So talk to me about this then, JT. Well, I don't know. All the other alien movies, including the third one, have this kind of more sinister opening. This, I don't know, when that bug thing, I, I'd totally forgotten how this started and I was like, that can't be an alien and then he obviously squishes it. I was thinking for a start, I wouldn't squash that bug with my finger because it makes a bloody good mess, yeah. doesn't it? Um, no, straight away I was just battling against liking this film. Um, it, it didn't really start very well for me. Um, apparently there's 42 enlisted crew and seven science officers on this ship. So there's obviously quite a few more people that can be killed off, expendable cast. We don't meet half of them. Do you know? I mean, that medical guy, you, his name you'll probably know, who's doing the caesarean on Ripley. I think he's the one doing it, or he's the one egging the other guy on. That ponytail he's got with that fucking metal thing on it. What's that oh, about? That shit. I mean, coming from a guy... Do you know what I mean? He's got like... <laughs> It's got this metal tie. I know you have a ponytail, but yours looks good. This looks fucking ridiculous. Oh, cheers. Thanks for that. It's always nice to be appreciated. But no, it <laughs> looks fucking stupid. That's right. um, Brad Dorif's character, Gediman, isn't it? And yeah, and his whole design in this is just fucking weird. But it's odd. That, um, obviously, it comes up, like you say, it's got the 40-odd like personnel and then the seven scientists. But there's actually, I read a, just sort of looking at like goofs for this movie, and there's actually nine scientists that appear throughout the movie. So it says there's seven officially, and then nine I... of them appear. <laughs> I read that as well. Just another quick goof while we're on it before I forget. Um, the figure eight that's tattooed on Ripley's arm is missing in some of the scenes. I mean, that's a fucking really bad continuity error, isn't it? There's loads of them. Of all the Alien movies, there's so many continuity issues. I mean, I've picked up on quite a few of them watching it, but I'll, and I'll point them out, but you may have recognised even more. But that is, of all the movies, this is the sloppiest, I think, for continuity, obviously just plot in general, and some of the stuff that happens, you're just like, it's fucking stupid. Like, how does how do people how do those shots even happen? You know. Yeah, it's mad. And how do these people get jobs as continuity artists? This this guy don't beggars belief, doesn't it? Especially in a massive budget movie yeah. like this. But I agree with you with this opening. It just doesn't feel like Alien, especially that opening shot. That just fucking weirdo just sat there squashing a the bug. I was like, this could be anything. This could be like 
Star Trek opens better than this. And I like Star Trek, but I'm just thinking, you know, this it doesn't have, like you say, that sinister, dramatic vibe. And it just kind of like doesn't really prepare you for watching an alien movie. You're just like, okay, this just seems a bit shit. Yeah, it doesn't set the tone, does it? All the other ones do. And this, like I say, this could have been anything. It just didn't make me think, oh, I'm watching an alien film. If I didn't know what it was, then I wouldn't have known at all. Now, credit where it's due here, although this is the start of one continuity issue that I'll point out a bit later on. But I think the effects of the chestburster when they're pulling out of it like the there's quite a lot of practical effects in this movie which i do really appreciate the chestburster looks really good in this like the the baby queen i thought that looked really good yeah i thought that yeah i must admit that did look good it's it's back to the sort of more penis like looking (laughs) um chestburster isn't it we had obviously the bigger one that came out of the ox last week this one's back to more like the original one. But yeah, it did look really good. Yeah, and I also like the interior of the ship, like the designs of it, because this is set 200 years after Alien 3. So Ripley's pushing like 300 years now. Still looks good for her age, to be fair. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I do like that. They've kept that heavy, dirty-looking industrial look. I just think the interior of the ship and some of the aesthetics throughout this um, movie, they do look like they belong in the Alien universe. And that, I quite like how they've kept that, that chunkiness to it. Yeah, there were certain um, Nostromo vibes with some of the corridors and that, weren't there? That sort of industrial spaceship looking with shitty lighting in that and the sort of narrow corridors. So, yeah, that, that worked on an alien sort of vibe. So we then see Ripley, Ripley in a circular cell and she's covered in some kind of sheet, which she slowly rives and cuts her way out of. She's looking at her hands and feeling her face and notices the number eight tattooed on her forearm, but it will probably disappear later. We then see we then see Ripley in a medical room being examined by Gediman. Ren walks in and takes a look at the scar tissue that is now nearly fully healed after just three days. He says she continues to make them all very proud. Ripley breaks her chains and begins choking Ren before a guard comes in and tases her in the head. She is being shown pictures and identifying what they are while being overseen by Ren, Gediman, and General Perez. The doctors are excited about her abilities, but Perez is concerned after her having memories as Ellen Ripley died wiping out the species and he doesn't want to see her taking up her old hobbies. They walk through the ship passages and come to a large chamber which contains the Queen. They state the Queen starts producing soon and they need the cargo. Back in the test room, Ripley is shown a picture of a blonde girl. Her look turns to sorrow and traces of the old Ripley begin to show on her expression. They spend a bit of time at the start of this movie really trying, and they do a fairly good job. I'll give them that. Like They emphasise the fact that this is not Ellen Ripley. It's not the Ripley we know. It is a very different one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give that. That thing they um they stun Ripley with as well. They give her a fucking big bolt with that, don't they? I know she's not human, but man, that's a fucking huge stun gun. It's not a taser or anything. Well, I know. It's it? like a shock thing comes out of it, but it's like the size of an assault rifle, and he puts it right to her temple and fucking, <laughs> like I say, that fucking blow her tits up. Yeah, I was like, fuck me, obviously, like I say, she's not human. But also, we get do we get introduced to the computer in this sort of scene where it, the one that um, runs the ship, and it's called Father, isn't it? So I'm assuming that's a throwback to Mother in the original. Yeah, I, I think we hear him a bit later on, but you're right, it is called Father, which I quite yeah, like do. as a throwback. But um, he's got that sort of deep, booming voice. But it's a pretty good throwback, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit ropey, but it does make sense. Um, yeah, like you say, you're not cloning the person's memories, are you? And God forbid they ever cloned me, fucking hell. <laughs> It'll be all right. I did like the um <laughs> I did like the newt scene. Well, not the newt scene, but when she sees the girl and she starts looking sad and it's all like that's when you can see the traces of the old Ripley, like she's trying to remember, but there's something missing. 
Yeah, I quite like that. Little little bits like that, you know, I thought were quite good, but they are few and far between yeah. as we go on. So this is where one of the issues comes up. So when Ripley has the cesarean, the cut is pretty much under her breasts or like closer to her stomach. But when Ren comes to investigate the scar, he opens up her shirt and it's right between her, not right on her breastplate. So the scars like moved up several inches yeah. suddenly when it started healing. That that makes more sense though, because it is a chest burster, not a stomach burster. And I always thought, I think it's in the third one in the scene. It's not in the version we watch where it comes out. It comes out more of a stomach. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, it's a chest burster, but it definitely is a continuity problem. And also, when she's in that bag, she starts ripping herself out of it. I was like, what's the, all this about? This is needless and pointless really yeah, i don't have a clue what that was supposed to be and again it's another bad sequence of shots because when you first see her she's like completely inside it then there's a shot where her head and her feet are out of it and then the next shot she's completely back inside it again i'm like well, what is this fucking thing anyway you're like inside a fucking meringue or something it's like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I just didn't understand that i thought maybe i was missing something i was like is this leading anywhere oh no next scene all right fair enough that's yeah. pointless and this general perez guy like he keeps referring to her as it doesn't he like he doesn't want to acknowledge that she is actually kind of sentient like she does have like obviously communicative abilities and he's just like it has memories why does it have memories and it's like dude are you expecting fucking pennywise to jump out or something just call her ripley <laughs> <laughs> yeah he does doesn't he but i suppose he's trying not to make her too human i don't know but one thing as well going on a bit later on she seems to gain her senses pretty bloody quickly because she hasn't got a clue what's going on next thing she's completely coherent we've had this in films we've discussed before yeah yeah she does suddenly come like snaps out of it a bit quick i mean they did kind of say that like her memories will come back because the alien kind of passes down its experiences like generationally and that's so that's probably why she's having memories because i did read somewhere because science and stuff if someone was cloned they wouldn't come back with their memories because that's stored in a different part of the brain and it just wouldn't work you wouldn't if you if you were cloned your clone wouldn't have your memories because it doesn't work like that but they kind of scoot around that by saying that the aliens Ripley's stronger in this one, and she's got kind of acidy blood as well, which we find out later. Um, but like her memories are coming down because the aliens would remember, like generationally, so they kind of get away with that. Yeah, yeah, I thought that as well. And another scene I'd completely forgotten about. I mean, most of them are buried in my memory somewhere, and some came back, some didn't. But yeah, I thought that was quite a good time. One thing, speaking about the acid for blood, that um, I thought about is because it plays a big part later, and she kind of uses it to her advantage. But you notice how it doesn't seem to affect any of the surgical tools when they're doing the um, the cesarean. Like they leave tools in there when they're like moving the alien away, and that surely they would start melting from the acid blood. But they just they seem to be fine. Yeah, there's a few things in this where the acid blood doesn't seem to do what it should do, and then there's other scenes where it does like it fucking completely destroys stuff. So it is a bit bit all over the place in that respect. And we also just before we move on because this comes into play a little bit later on, but it's like in most sci-fi shows. For an ID scan, you usually have like handprint or like retinal scanner, but they use their fucking breath in this. How oh. disgusting is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew. Oh, I was hoping you'd pick up on that. I thought that was fucking weird. I mean, I'll, fair play, but like you say, it's normally a retinal scan, hand, fingerprint, or whatever, you know, like with your phone. But yeah, that was very strange. Maybe they're just trying to do something a bit different. And obviously, retina scanning and fingerprint scanning wasn't really a massive thing back then. We're talking 24 years ago, aren't we? It was probably still quite infant technology. I don't know. I've never been in a top secret scientist environment, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird. It's just the way he's like breathing. It's like, well, what have I just eaten a curry or something? It's not going to realise that, is it? It's like, oh, this is mis- 
this yeah, is Mr. Vindaloo, isn't it? I thought exactly the same thing. Yeah, what if you just add like a Vindaloo in 10 pints? I ain't going to recognise your breath, is it? It'd probably fucking blow up. <laughs> so Ripley is now in the mess hall with Gediman and asking how they got her. He tells her that they used a lot of hard work and cloned her from blood samples they retrieved from Fury 16, which were on ice. She asks if it grows, indicating she knows about the alien. He says it does, very rapidly, and is impressed to learn that Ripley knows it's a queen. She states it will breed and you will die. Everyone in the company will die. Gediman doesn't know what this means, well, what she means by the company. Ren walks in and states it was Ripley's former employees, Wayland Yutani, that were a greedy corporation that got bought out by Walmart decades ago. Ren tells Ripley that the creature is a pathway to new medicines and vaccines that has unlimited potential once it has been tamed. Ripley scoffs at, scoffs at this and says they can't teach it tricks, but Ren counters by saying, why not? We're teaching you. So this is a, one of those kind of little scenes, again, where we kind of develop the situation that we're in now. And one thing that stands out straight away is how they call it Fury 16, when it's actually Fury 161. So no one do their fucking yeah. research. They wrote this script. Yeah, I mean, it was it had that other name, Furina, or whatever it was, didn't it? But yeah, Fury 161, I picked up on that. I was like, that's that's not right. You fucked this up, you know. Silly little mistakes like that is one of the reasons why this film doesn't really cut it. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things, isn't it? Because the way they do planets in this universe, it's like LV-426. That's just one planet of an LV designation within that region. And in Prometheus, which we'll get to eventually, um, but you've got all the different LVs around indicating that they're in that region. So Fury 16 would have been a completely different fucking planet or moon, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just silly little, like I say, silly little things like that. Just poor attention to detail, isn't it? I mean, this scene overall sets up you know, the rest of the film quite well. It's pretty short scene, as you say, just sort of telling us what's happened and what's going on. So in that respect, but just stupid little gaffes like that really fuck it up. I just thought as well, like the whole thing where he's like, Wayne and Yutani, um, were, you know, they got bought out by Walmart. And I was like, is that supposed to be a gag or is it actually being serious? Because <laughs> given the state of the alien universe, Wolf, like, Wayne and Yutani were basically like umbrella. They had their fingers and loads of pies. They wouldn't get bought out by a fucking Walmart company, would they? Do you know, I thought that as well, and I thought maybe it's me just being stupid, and until you mentioned it then, I wasn't going to mention it. Yeah, no idea. Is he just taking a piss, or did it happen? Maybe it's another one of those things we're not supposed to know or think about too much. Yeah, I just I just thought it was such a weird thing to say, and again, I don't know if that's something that was added in this special edition, or if it was cut out of the theatrical, because it just sounded so fucking... It just didn't work. The way he delivered the line and everything, it's just really weird. Yeah, it definitely was a strange one. I think it's just one of those passing comments that's probably said, you know, they're trying to make it a bit more human. It's just something you might say as a, as a passing comment to sort of deflect the question or whatever. I don't know. But it definitely was a bit weird. Yeah. So we now see a small ship approaching. It's called the Betty. And we're introduced to its crew, led by Captain Elgin, who is in the cockpit with his girlfriend slash co-pilot called Hillard. We head down to the loading bay where Cole and Vries are prepping cargo while Jonah makes monkey noises in the rafters. He drops a knife down into Vries's leg. Vries doesn't notice, but then looks down after hearing Cole and Jonah arguing. He, Cole pulls a knife out of his leg and snaps it. Jonah kicks off and warns her that he is not the man with whom to fuck before storming off. Elgin is now upstairs with Christy, who is testing out extendable wrist pistols, which he will conceal under his jacket in case there is trouble on the ship. The Betty docks and the crew come on board with the cargo, which is a containers full of people. After being scanned by security, they're let through and Elgin heads to speak to Perez. 
Perez slides a pile of cash to Elgin and says these were hard to come by. Elgin replies, so was our cargo. Perez makes them a whiskey and points out very few people deal with cash these days. Perez states they're on a military operation, but a suspicious Elgin says that he didn't know military vessels had to operate outside of regulated space. Perez says Elgin and his crew can stay for a few days if they behave. So here's, like you mentioned at the start, we're introduced to these characters and they're all kind of good in their own right, but they don't really, they just don't really gel, do they? They just, no. nothing about them holds the screen very well, despite who they're played by. No, exactly what I said at the start. Um, I, I was going to have a real problem with how this scene started. And luckily, you know, when he's trying it on at the start he's with his girlfriend, at first you don't know he's his girlfriend. And I thought he was coming on to her and being an absolute dick. And then you find out that they're together. And that's, you know, he wasn't being such a much of a dick as I thought he was. But yeah, you're right. I just don't bond at all. Um, I did like the bit where he throws a knife into Vries, isn't it? And he doesn't feel it. That sets up for a scene a bit later on, doesn't it? And I thought that was quite clever when they came back to that in a, in a scene we'll talk about, I'm sure. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you think he's something, like my first thought, as you probably thought, of like, right, that's gone into his leg and he hasn't felt it, so that obviously makes him that type of character, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I thought that. And then I'd totally forgotten that that sort of relates to a scene later on and sort of makes a lot more sense. And it, that was quite a clever little tie-in. But, yeah, this whole scene, I did like the whiskey he got. It was, like, dry, wasn't it? And he chucked it in a glass and it expanded into a whiskey. How fucking handy would that be? I've got that here because, you know what, I'd actually swap my Tassimo for one of them if they were real. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Was... I, like, I like my Tassimo. <laughs> but, yeah, that would be handy, <laughs> wouldn't it? If you, want, if you want a cheeky little snifter, you wouldn't have to carry around a hip flask or anything, just a couple of sachets. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I, I thought that was, like, really sweet. And, again, like you mentioned earlier on about parts of the area looking like the Nostromo, their cargo bay reminds me of that place where Brett gets killed. It's got, like, chains yeah. hanging down on it. Just, just looks fucking horrible. But, again, aesthetically, everything kind of comes back and it looks really good. Yeah, I thought that as well. It definitely had remnants of the, the Brett death scene. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad scene. Like, we're introduced to the characters and we get a little bit of what they're about and stuff. But... Yeah, they're, they're just not great characters, I don't think. No, but I did. <laughs> I, I fucking love Ron Perlman. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'll watch anything with him in. But <laughs> him at the top when he's on the rafters making these fucking ape noises. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I know the guy, I can't what he's got. Um, He's got the same disease as like Andre the Giant and stuff had. So he obviously looks a bit like a great white ape anyway, doesn't he? But he's just there like aping it around, <laughs> like and waving this fucking knife around. It's like, dude, what are you doing yeah. out there? You just look fucking weird. Yeah, I mean, he does have some quite good lines in this film, and he's one of the better characters, but he's definitely weird in it. But that's Ron Perlman all over, isn't it? Yeah, he plays these kind of characters, doesn't he? He doesn't. You never see Ron Perlman playing Ron Perlman. He's always a character actor, which I quite like. One of his yeah. um, lines, when they're going through the security guards, and the guy scans his flask, and he's like, no weapons on board. And he opens his jacket and reveals like it's like a sort of a thermos or something, and he's like, it's my own recipe. Way more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I will say about that scene where they scan them for weapons, they do a fucking shit job of the scan, don't they? <laughs> they do, don't they? <laughs> I mean, fuck, we used to have to scan each other in retail to make sure no one was nicking stuff, and we did a better job than them, and they're fucking United States government. I think every single one of them's got a weapon of some sort, haven't they? <laughs> well, yeah, because we know Christie's got pistols up his sleeve. Later on, we find that, obviously, um, Ron and Vries, I say Ron, Jonah, as he's calling this, <laughs> they've both got, like, weapons stashed away. Yeah, it's, it's a poor job. And obviously, yeah, like say, 
I mean, Vries, you can kind of get away with it because he just says about his chair. And obviously that then sort of takes the thing, are you taking the piss out of my disability sort of thing? Are you going to push it too far because I'm in a chair? So you can kind of understand why they didn't find his. But yeah, the other two I thought was a bit shit. That's it, yeah, because it's in this shot that we see that Reese is actually disabled. He's in a wheelchair, and his wheelchair looks like a fucking tank. <laughs> it's pretty badass. Yeah, it does. But, um, yeah, it's beastly, isn't it? Because <laughs> I thought he was going to be an android at first, um, obviously because the thing went in his leg and he didn't really react. But thinking of that, I know, I mean, I don't know, but he's obviously disabled from the waist down, but the knife went into his leg. Surely he would have started bleeding out, maybe, because like, they didn't rush to patch it or anything, did they? And that went right into his thigh. Yeah, that's a good shout. No, no one seems to obviously call old Winona Riders a bit pissed off about it, but no one else, nothing really happens, does it? She just shouts a little bit and breaks the knife and gets a bit pissed off. Yeah, she pulls the knife out. It doesn't even seem to have any blood on it. You don't see any blood coming up on, like, Reese's leg. But it's like, just because you can't feel it doesn't mean that, like, you don't have, like, tendons and arteries and shit. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, his legs would be like normal people's legs. You just can't use them. So, yeah, that was a bit weird. I didn't really pick up on that at the time. That's a good point. So now we see the cargo of people that have just been delivered strapped into tubes with an alien egg in front of each person. One person wakes up and begins to scream. We then cut to Ripley in the mess hall playing basketball. The Betty crew walk in and Jonah tries to be romantic with Ripley. She ignores him. He stands behind her, so she bounces a ball between his legs and hits him in the plums. Christy hits Ripley in the face with a set of barbell weights, but it barely phases her. She knocks him down, wiping blood from her nose and flicking it on the floor and continues playing basketball. Ren walks in and tells her that that's enough fun. As she's walking away, Jonah asks, what the hell are you? She smiles and tosses the ball behind her, which lands in the net. And this is um, just another one of those little sequences of kind of introducing the Betty to Ripley, because obviously their paths are going to have to cross, so they may as well just do it now. Yeah, it's it's a strange scene, but it kind of works in a way. Ripley gets another nosebleed as well. She likes getting nosebleeds, doesn't she? She does, yeah. <laughs> this one and also gets twatted in the face with a barbell. I mean, <laughs> that would fucking kill someone. Yeah, and apparently I was reading the gaffs earlier, and at one point you can see that the barbells are rubber. I didn't notice it at the time, but probably if you knew it was there, you'd notice it. So I might have to go back and watch that at some point. Although that would mean putting this back in my Blu-ray player, so that might be a, a bit of a chore. Oh, I but, think once know. a decade's enough, really. You know, I mean, this might be the last time I ever watch this film. I don't really see the need to watch it again. No, I know what you mean. Um, and also, they requested for no fights, didn't they? When the Betty crew come on board and um, the two guys are together, whose names obviously have escaped me, and they're drinking the whiskey, he said he no fights on this. And uh, that obviously didn't last long because they start kicking the shit out of each other in the basketball court. Yeah, yeah, they do. Another thing you mentioned about that barbell, like you can tell it's rubber, but Ripley, um, she smacks Christy and knocks him down. But when he falls down, you don't hear the weights clang to the ground. He's not holding them and they just vanish. So one minute he's got these fucking massive weights in his hand that he clonks Ripley with. She hits him and they just vanish out of his hands. He falls down. Did you notice that? I didn't notice it, but when I was going through a bit of trivia and gaffes, I did read that. So yeah, I, I didn't notice it. Maybe I wasn't paying as close attention as I have to some of the other films we've reviewed recently. <laughs> um, and the bit, you know, with the basketball shot that she does, she actually, where she throws it behind her and it goes in the net. You, you might yeah. know this, but she trained for like two or three weeks to do that and she did it in the first take, but they cocked oh. up because Ron Perlman and everyone started cheering and then as I like, was still filming, you just ruined the shot. So she had to do it again. Oh, shit, I bet it probably took her 100 times when we go to do it again. 
<laughs> I think she still did it in a couple, but it's just cool that she did it the first time. But yeah, apparently they were all like, holy shit, that's amazing. They started cheering. Then the director's like, I don't know. No, 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 you can't do that. I'm, I'm French or whatever. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's mad. Yeah. Also, just going back to where those guys are all in the, the chambers with the facehuggers in front of them. I mean, obviously, the, the facehuggers just got to come out, come out of the egg and attach itself to them. But those eggs are like literally about two inches away from their face, aren't they? They yeah, seem they're in they're in quite a contained area. I understand that, but that face up comes out of a lot of force, doesn't it? Normally, unless this one just climbs out gently and just sort of, I don't know, crawls onto their face. Maybe well, you don't actually see it come out, do you? Legs, does it? Just sort of like you say, it's like right there. But that would be a horrible way to wake up when they wake up. Oh, just seeing that thing. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit disappointed you didn't actually see the the face up come out. You see the egg open, then it cuts to the scene with Ripley. I was a bit annoyed you didn't actually see it come out. Well, I, I think. You don't even see, they. I don't know if it's just because they expected the audience to be familiar with it now, so they didn't bother, but you don't see any of the gestation, really. You don't see any face huggers, like you say, on those no. people. You don't see the aliens burst out, because in a shot, literally in the next scene, you see fully grown aliens in chambers, which we'll get to in a second, but they kind of just don't bother showing you that sequence anymore, do they? I mean, obviously, we do see a chest burster much later on in the movie, but generally, they yeah. just breeze over it. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with that because, you know, being a bit sadistic, I liked seeing the old face I could jump out and attach itself. And I was just like, oh, OK, we're not going to see it then. And I was hoping it might cut back to some more of that, but it doesn't, like you said. Yeah, so we now get a short sequence of scenes that plays through and shows us what all the crew are up to. So Elgin is with Hillard. Christy, Cole and Jonah are watching telly. Freese is robbing the storage room and Perez is polishing his boots. Gediman is observing fully grown aliens who are in holding cells. An alien approaches the glass and Gediman attempts to communicate. It hits the glass with its inner jaw, so Gediman blasts it with dry ice. The alien is pissed off and rushes towards the glass, but it stops when Gediman holds his hand over the button. He observes the alien and says, so, we're a fast learner. Uh, Cole heads off to find Ripley, and using a sample of stolen breath, she enters her cell. Pulling a knife, she approaches a sleeping Ripley who awakens and asks if she is going to kill her. Cole says there is no point as they have taken it out of her, indicating that she knows about the aliens. Cole tells Ripley that Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago and that she isn't her. Ripley has a distant look on her face and repeats, I'm not her, then tells Cole to leave as they are looking for her. As Cole leaves, Wren and the security guards grab her and they round up the rest of the Betty crew in the mess hall. What do you think of this kind of series of events? As we just mentioned then, we go from like eggs in front of people and now we've got fully grown xenomorphs in the shit. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit bit strange there. And also, I didn't like the fact that for a start, he was putting his face right up to the glass and when that inner jaw comes out, I know the glass must be massively strengthened, but I wouldn't be fucking doing that. I wouldn't be getting anywhere near that thing behind glass or not. I mean, I don't like tarantulas and I wouldn't get close up to one of those behind glass and I know it's not going to come out at me. Um, so, I mean, it's not that I didn't like that. I just thought this guy's an idiot. Um, and then the fact, again, I don't like the fact that humans are breeding aliens. It just doesn't sit with me very well that. I like the fact the alien can do everything itself. And when he's pressing that button with the dry ice and the alien's learning, I don't know. I just, I don't like that. I like thinking the alien's more primal and it's not, clever does that make sense yeah i get you it's, it's the way i see it it's always been leading to this is obviously the company even whaling yutani before they became walmart that this is obviously what <laughs> they wanted wasn't it the aliens under control in yeah. a box being tested on so you it was always going to that but actually seeing it in the flesh it doesn't really work for me 
like you said there, you know, you always just want to see the alien in the natural habitat, how kind of foxing people with their natural kind of hunter skills. When you see them kind of adapting and learning like pets, it just doesn't, yeah, just take, kind of take something away from them. Yeah, it does. I mean, the, the things are still horrifying, don't get me wrong. But yeah, it does take away a little bit of the fear, I think. But yeah, there we go. And also when um old Paul goes to find Ripley, I mean, yeah, she's got the stolen breath and that, but it's not much of an effort to get in that room, is it? It's not, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, high security, and she just fucking strolls in there. Do you notice? I know it's season films sometimes, like when you actually consider the layout of something and it makes no sense. So they're on a spaceship, and granted, yeah, it's a fucking big starship thing. She's walking across a bridge towards Ripley's cell, and there's like a massive drop underneath this bridge, like the fucking Grand Canyon. It's like, who built this? And what does that even, what purpose yeah. does that serve? You're on a ship. You know, why is there yeah, such exactly. a massive cabin underneath it? Health and safety as well, man. Come on. Well, yeah, exactly. But yeah, like you say, there's for somewhere that's obviously military supervised and top secret, she just kind of strolls in quite easily, doesn't she? Yeah, it wasn't too difficult. Um, and also, she stabs Ripley through the hand with that knife, doesn't she? And there's no acid or anything. Yeah. And you also notice that she walks in and she takes a knife out of her left boot. And then suddenly in the next shot, she's got it in her right hand. It's like, what the fuck's going on here? Just you know, yeah, that was another this sequence. That was another continuity thing that I read. Again, I wasn't paying close enough attention to notice that at the time, but yeah, it's another one I did read. No, I'm glad a few people have picked up and I notice things like this, and it really winds me up sometimes. I'm like, how does someone sit there like a director when they're watching through the movie and putting scenes together and being like, right, here's a scene with it in the left hand, here's a scene with it in the right hand, we'll just keep that. Yeah, it can't be that difficult, can I? I mean, obviously, I've never directed a film or done the continuity on a film, but you think these people are getting paid and a nice wage for this. They should be able to do their job. Yeah. And what do you think of the design of the xenomorph in this? Because it's kind of, it's a bit like the original Alien in the way it looks. It's got that smooth dome of a head, but it's smaller. It's kind of like the size of the Cameron Alien, but it looks like the original Alien. And one thing... I personally really like is how slimy they are. They're like drooling like mad in this. It just looks pretty good. But there's also something about the design. I think it just doesn't quite look right in a way. Yeah, it's interesting you've said about the slime, actually, because I've got in my notes here, I thought they were too slimy. I thought they'd gone a bit... bit, Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you expect it from the the other films to have a bit of slime going off at the old KY jelly or whatever they used, but... This just seemed like they fucking poured this thing just from head to toe with KY jelly. It was, I thought it was a little bit too much. I don't mind the overall design. I think it's not a bad job. Like I say, they've mixed the original one with the Cameron ones, and I think they look okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just weird. And I like um, another change they made, which I don't mind, because the original Alien was kind of a dark, metallic-y colour. Cameron one was obviously quite black but it had blue tinges. These ones have a bit more of a brown, ambery highlight to them, don't they? So it's kind of they've evolved the image of it, maybe just because it translates to screen better. But um, yeah, I didn't mind it overall. I just thought it looked good, but it also didn't look right at the same time. Yeah, I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. That there was just something not quite quite right about them. Yeah. I, I thought it possibly was the copious amounts of slime for me. Yeah, I know. It's like the alien like lubes himself up with more baby oil than the bodybuilder. It's like they're just constantly leaking everywhere, aren't they? You know, they slip. Yeah, down. I just thought it, I thought it was a bit over the top. <laughs> so, Ren has the crew of the Betty under arrest in the mess hall and is stating that Call is a terrorist, and as a result, the whole crew must die as they brought her on board. 
Elgin is arguing the point and turns to Christie, who activates his wrist guns and starts taking out guards. Jonah's flask turns into a shotgun and he blows away another guard. And between them, they kill a guy who is now holding a gun to Christie's head. Gediman, who for some reason has CCTV of the mess hall in his science lab, sees the commotion and alerts security. An alien is watching from its holding cell and looks at the button which activates the dried ice. It turns to another alien and the two of them attack a third and the acid blood melts the flooring, allowing the two of them to escape. Gediman heads into the cell to take a look. As he looks down through a burned hole, the alien hand comes up and grabs him by the face and pulls him in. Call is trying to convince the Betty crew that illegal experiments involving alien species are taking place on the ship and they cannot be allowed to escape, but Elgin is having none of it. The Betty crew take Wren and a soldier named Stefano hostage so they can lead them to the docks. Your thoughts on how this kind of transpires? Um, it's good and bad, to be honest. I thought the, the scene with the weapons and they were shooting the, the guys was quite cool. Um, some quite brutal shotgun deaths and that. I did think that the, the other guys didn't put up much of a fight against the Betty crew, did they? No, they all stood there with these massive assault rifles and once the Betty crew start firing at them, they just sort of stand there and take the bullets, which I thought, oh, okay, fair enough. I wouldn't want you protecting me or gut well. Or wouldn't mind you guarding me, but not protecting me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and the, the, when Christie shoots up and the, the bullets ricochet off the ceiling, I think it's in this scene. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, yeah, that was good. And again, it's like you just said there, um, there's a guy, there's a shot when Ron Perlman, uh, sorry, Jonah, sorry, like he whips out his flask and it turns into a shotgun. The guy coming down the stairs, like, has his gun to bear. All he's got to do is pull the trigger, but somehow Ron has a chance to whip his flask out, <laughs> transform it, and fucking blow him away. It's like, this guy's shit. Will he leave the safety on? But yeah, I agree. That bit where Christie's like, hands are up, and then Jonah kind of, like, looks towards the ceiling, and he follows his gaze and shoots, and the bullet ricochets yeah. off the ceiling and shoots the guy in the head. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was quite cool. And just talking about when the aliens break out, this is the bit I think is good and bad. They're, they're kind of talking to each other, aren't they, when they're in that chamber? And I thought that was really cheesy. It's like they're almost communicating. But then when they do kill the other one to use the acid to break out, I thought that was quite clever and quite good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, the sequence, like the way they do it is good. But the talkings, I tell you what, another thing, you're talking about the talking. They are very vocal in this, aren't they? And they've got this really yes. deep guttural roar. Like usually aliens make no noise. They hiss once in a while or they screech in that kind of, baby elephant noise but in this one they're really like deep throated and they roar and they make all kinds of noises don't they yeah they are there's a couple of times where it looks like they're talking and i, I didn't really like that because we've always said before they shouldn't really make human type sounds i mean they don't sound like humans but there's an element of almost talking especially later on which we'll get to yeah now two other things here and i mentioned one of them just then in the sort of like the dialogue Two things about this scene with Gediman. Why does he have CCTV of the mess hall in his science lab? You know, why, why would he Why would he need that in his science lab? Why wouldn't he have cameras in all the cells with the aliens so he can keep an eye on them? Because he's only looking at one at a time through his glass, isn't he? So why the hell is he looking at the fucking mm. mess hall CCTV? And also, once the aliens escape, why does he go in there? What is he going to achieve? He's a fucking lab rat. He's not going to fucking stop them, is he? Yeah, and he hasn't got any weapons. He's another Burke, isn't he? Let's just go into an area unprepared and he knows what they're like he's been studying them so it's not like he doesn't know what they're going to do yeah it's one of those things that i know he comes back a bit later spoiler alert like it's, it's just one of those things that kind of advance the plot but it's like when you think about it, it's like 
dude, you're useless. They're not going to pop up and invite you in for a fucking cup of tea, are they? They're going to kill you or steal you. You've got nothing to kind of like prevent anything from happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like I say, it's probably, it needs to be there for the plot, doesn't it? But there's a few holes in it. Yeah, just <laughs> fucking told me with a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, meanwhile, things are going tits up around the ship. As the alarm starts ringing, Perez wakes up looking like the Wolfman. And we cut the shots of the... Fucking hell. Sorry. <laughs> I had to well. cut in there because I was waiting for you to say that. I was like, if you don't say it, I've got to say it. How fucking hairy are his shoulders? Fuck, he's mental, isn't he? He's like, <laughs> dude, I remember like back in the fucking early 90s, like old women used to wear these big fucking furry coats and everything. I'm like, a nan used to have one. It's like, <laughs> this dude fucking put us out the shame. I've got it here in my notes. I was like, his shoulder, I've never seen anything like it. We used to have a PE teacher at my primary school called Mr. I won't say what his name was actually, because <laughs> I know he's still around. And he's not going to listen to this. But we used to call him Team Wolf. Do you remember that film, <laughs> Team Wolf? Yeah. And then they made a series out of it with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. He was he was hairy all over. But this fucking Perez guy, my God, it's like he's covered himself in glue and rolled around in like a fur coat or something. What is going on? It's fucking ridiculous. Like, yeah, I've never seen, I've seen guys like teachers and even people like some people you work with, like they have the top button of their shirt undone and they've got like a hairy chest sticking out. But yeah, this guy is like, yeah, he is literally the wolf man. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. So, so glad you mentioned that because <laughs> I was definitely mentioning it if you didn't. <laughs> so Teen Wolf wakes up and the crew are trying to evacuate. <laughs> We see his, um evac pods being loaded up, and, but an alien gets inside one of those. So I can throw me off thinking about how fucking area that bloke is. <laughs> so the evac pods are being loaded up, and an alien gets inside one of them. Perez throws a grenade inside before launching it, but shortly after, he himself is killed by another alien who sneaks up behind him. A security guard heads into the chamber, which aliens escaped from earlier. As he approaches a hole, we see an alien drop down in the lab room and activate the dry ice button with its inner jaw and it freezes the guard whose arm snaps off. The alien lets out a loud roar that echoes around the ship. Ripley hears it from her cell and smiles. Reese is in a hallway and sees a creature moving on the walkway above him. He detaches parts of his wheelchair and creates a shotgun and fires. Acid drips down through the grates and lands on his ear. The door of Ripley's chamber is being broken down by aliens. She starts punching a wall panel and tears it open. She cuts her hand on some jagged metal and runs her blood over some cables. The acid sizzles the cables and a wall panel slides open, allowing her to escape. So once we got Teen Wolf out of the way, this fucking, <laughs> there's a really bad plot, uh, well, not a bad plot, but a really bad shot here. And again, it's just sloppy editing. Did you notice it with the escape pods? Uh, I probably didn't. So hit me with it and it might jog my memory. So we see like a bunch of people run into an escape pod, uh, escape pod when I can speak. And it obviously gets evacuated and they're safe. Then we see another group of people running towards another one and the alien climbs in and kills them. It's the exact same people. They've literally just recycled. The oh, yeah, it? it's the exact same people. So they escape. <laughs> then they're back in the ship and then they get into another one. Then they all fucking die. It's like, how fucking cheap is that? I didn't notice that. I did think it was quite a brutal way to die, though, being trapped in an escape pod with an alien. You can't really get out, can you? You're fucked. Yeah. The shot where Perez, he throws a grenade and we sort of see it roll along and it falls in and then obviously it shoots out and then he detonates it. I thought that was done well, but why the hell? Did you notice when he detonates it, he like winces like the explosion's going to go off right next to him. It's like, dude, it's out in space. Why are you like wincing yeah. like a little bit? Yeah, I did notice that. Obviously he waits for it to clear the ship and then detonates it and then, yeah, it looks like he's just shit himself. <laughs> it's like, well, you're fine, mate. Don't worry about it. You've actually survived. Um, I, I thought the bit 
where the alien freezes that guy again it was a love hate thing i thought it was quite cool but again i the bit with the alien doing it i don't know it didn't one of these things again it didn't really sit well with me it's making the alien to be intelligent and not the way i like it being intelligent yeah, I, I just think that whole scene was unnecessary. Like, they obviously wanted to add a bit more, like you said, emphasis, because we've seen Gediman teaching the alien with this button, and the alien's been watching him, so they obviously wanted to indicate that the alien can learn. But again, it just, there was no need for it. Like, not being funny, that guy goes yeah. into that room with a flimsy-ass fucking pistol. Again, he's not going to achieve anything, is it? It's <laughs> just like, that whole scene just didn't no, need to be there. Not. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it looked quite good, I guess. But yeah, it was pretty unnecessary. Um but yeah, it's, it was there. When um, old Vries, isn't it? When the acid drips on him, it first drips on his leg and he doesn't feel it, which is what I thought was good. The throwback to the knife on the original, on the Betty originally. I thought that was quite a good little touch. But you know when the acid drips onto his ear? I don't think he's affected by it. Later on, you don't see his ear hanging off or anything, do you? You don't, no, because like you say, it drips on his leg and he kind of looks down, he touches it, doesn't he? And then he's like, with his fingers, he's like, oh, shit. And so it's burning yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, like you say, it hits him behind the ear, but you never see any, like, blood dripping down or anything. And you notice how he doesn't... No, it's all starts to burn. Either. He's just kind of like, oh, there's something up there. And he gets his shotgun out and starts firing. It's like... Yeah, just starts swearing at it and firing at it through the grate, which doesn't seem to be doing anything. You think that if that shotgun was good enough, those bullets would be getting through that, but it doesn't seem to be doing anything. But yeah, I think when the acid drips onto his ear at first, you see a little sizzle and hints of it burning him but then later on it doesn't seem to be affected by it at all no it's weird i'll tell you what another thing about the sequence that completely pisses me off this is going to be a common trend as we go through this movie um, <laughs> right so they're on the ship their whole mission is to clone ripley create aliens and get them back to earth that's their mission they know what they're doing they've got all this containment up there so surely all these like big fucking sizzle dick marines are all there to contain these aliens why are they all just running away as soon as something goes wrong surely they're there for containment they're trained or prepped for this and as soon as one alien breaks out they're all just running away yeah that's a really good point i mean they've had enough time haven't they to have a lot of training on all this you think they'd have had specialist training you know i mean these days you have specialist training for everything don't you so, yeah, it's a bit weird that, like you say, the minute it goes tits up, they're all running to mummy, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just stupid stuff. And then it just leaves the ship pretty much empty apart from the Betty crew. So, yeah. speaking of the Betty crew, they're now moving through the corridors, but Elgin stops and looks down a side passage. The rest move on without him, but can be heard in the distance calling him to come on. He heads down to investigate something, but it is not clear what. He finds a pistol on the ground covered in slime. An alien pulls the flooring down and he falls. Despite holding on and trying to pull himself up, the alien shoots his inner jaw through his stomach and kills him. The Betty crew arrive too late. They start pulling his body up and suddenly an alien emerges from another vent. The Stefano tells him not to shoot as it's in front of the hull. The crew run but are backed into a dead end. The alien is stalking them but is attracted by noise. It turns to look at a hole in the flooring. A gun emerges through Elgin's body and shoots the alien in the head, killing it. The Betty crew appear just as Ripley is climbing out of the flooring. Christian Jonah question Wren about his project when Wren informs her that there are 12 more of them, but Ripley informs him that there will be more soon. She hands her gun to the crew, and despite Paul protesting um, that they can't trust her, Christy agrees to let Ripley come with them. Shortly after, they bump into Vries. Stefano tells them the quickest way to the docks is down the freight ele elevator passage and through the main mess hall. Ripley notices the ship is moving. Ren states that the emergency procedure for the autopilot is to head back to home base, which is Earth. 
So what do we think of this? Because this whole sequence just fucking feels out of kilter to me because why the hell would Elgin just go down that passageway? There's like nothing down there for him to investigate. Yeah, I wondered that. I, I thought, what you know, he's just chipped off to, to do investigate what? I will say, though, there's one bit where a pipe comes down and it did make me fucking jump. Yeah. I don't know if you know the bit I'm on yeah, about. Yeah. I was like, fuck, that, that actually got me that bit. It was like a jump scare and it actually worked. And his death's pretty brutal. And I love the way Ripley does come back and shoot that alien through his body. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, again, that's just a common thing with this movie. There's like good bits, but they're just mired in stuff that makes no sense. It's like they had good sequences. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this will be a good shot. And it is good. Like you say, like he's got the hole in his stomach and she pushes like the big shotgun or whatever it is up through his thing into the alien's mouth and shoots him. That looks really badass. But it's like everything that kind of goes around getting to that point doesn't really make sense because all his buddies are running on and they're like, oh, come on, Elgin, come on. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then just buggers off. And why wouldn't they stop for him or come back? <laughs> it just doesn't fucking make sense. No, it definitely was a bit strange. And also, I mean, maybe he knows more than we do or I do. How does he know there's 12 aliens on board, 12 more? He doesn't know how many has been killed or anything. It's just, is that just a wild guess? Yeah, there's 12, 12 more. Okay. Yeah. Where have you got that figure from? Exactly, because he says 12, only seeing that alien die. But we know that Perez blew one up from the escape pod. There might be another one. But also, when he says 12, they say yeah. the word 12 about 10 times. It's worse than fucking Parker with his, why don't you guys freeze him? <laughs> like, how many left? 12, 12, 12, 12. 12. It's just like, <laughs> you know, yeah, with those 12 aliens, get over it, mate. Well, he must have been pretty sure there was 12 then, I guess, if they, you know. But yeah, I just thought that seems to be a random figure you've pulled out of thin air because you don't know what's gone on in the last X amount of time. There could be more, there could be less now. How, how many have been killed? How many more have been born? Fuck knows. Yeah, because that's obviously one thing Ripley mentions that like there will be more. Um, yeah. And this is the only time we actually see Ripley use a firearm, like an actual gun gun in this movie, isn't it? When um, she shoots that particular alien. After that, she uses a flamethrower yes, later and then has nothing in her hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know, it's, as well, and then this is another thing that fucking winds me up, surprise. She shoots this alien in the head <laughs> and, like, fucking a whole head explodes. And they come running back, but no one seems concerned that there should be, like, a whole floor of acid around them that could be, like, because De Stefano says you can't shoot, it's in front of the hull. And its head explodes, like, the wall yeah. would be melting, the fucking floor would be melting, the lot of it, and they're all just kind of stood around chin-wagging. It's like, You'd all be fucking burning alive stood there. Yeah, there's a couple of bits about that. I mean, I said earlier, the acid bits are inconsistent. There's sometimes when it's used, obviously, like when the aliens escape, for example. And there's other times when it's just ignored. It does seem very hit and miss. And also, yeah, they, they do stand around and have a bit of a chinwag. I'd be sort of moving it out, as a pony used to say. You know, I'd be fucking moving around. I wouldn't be just stood there nattering. Yeah, I know. After seeing the alien and everything. And they obviously point out the fact yeah. that no one seems to like Earth. So we've never seen Earth in the Aliens franchise and only guessed to what it might be like, but they all just point out it's like a complete shithole. So even Jonah's like, I'd rather stay here yeah. with things and go back to Earth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought it was a bit weird that they... Obviously, they're trying to work out what's going on, but they, see, they seem to have a bit of a casual twi- uh, chinwag at this point when all hell's breaking loose. Yeah. So as they continue on, Ripley stops after noticing a room labelled 1 to 7. She looks at the number eight on her arm and goes inside, with Ren telling her not to. She finds growth cylinders full of grotesque creatures that are a mix of alien and human design, indicating all the failed clones of Ellen Ripley. At the back of the room, a deformed clone is still alive, begging to be killed. Cole hands Ripley a flamethrower and she tortures the whole room. 
When she exits, she looks at Ren and contemplates killing him, but decides to walk off. Paul punches him and the group continue on. Now, just to stop and talk about this little scene here, I don't know if I like the scene or not. I think the designs are really good. They look like some out of Hellraiser. I'm just not sure I like mm. how this kind of sequence plays out. Um, yeah, I've got similar thoughts. Um, I'd forgotten about this scene completely. I mean, some of them did come back to me. This had completely escaped my mind. Um, I think if someone had to put a gun to my head, I'd have to say I don't like it. I don't like the way they look. They they look horrible, and that's obviously what they're supposed to look like. But I don't know. I, I don't like it. No, I think I think it it makes sense why it's in there because obviously Ripley's finding out more about how she was made and stuff, and all these failed attempts. And obviously she looks at the eight on her arm, sees the one to seven on the door, so she puts two and two together and makes eight. Um, so yeah, in that respect, but. No, it's unsettling, and I guess it was supposed to be. And also, just a quick point, she kills that one that's still alive with a flamethrower. If she's trying to be putting out of his misery, a flamethrower would be the most fucking horrible way to die. She should have just put a bullet in his head. There were guns there with the other crew. Yeah, I've actually got that there as well. It's like, you know, burning someone, something alive is, like I say, probably horrendous way. When she, like I say, could just grab one of Christie's pistols and put a bullet in her head and been done with it. So, also as well, that yeah. one that's on the table has like a cut in its chest like they attempted to take an alien out of it so it makes you wonder like did it did an alien come out of her as well was there another alien around or was it just completely failed yeah i thought that she's also got a hairy armpit as well she's definitely weird well, there's a, a french um, director so. <laughs> that's very true uh, ripley it, um, this might be a throwback to aliens it might be coincidental she goes absolutely fucking mental with the flamethrower doesn't she and just flamethrowers the whole room yeah and again but like using flamethrower on like glass cylinders is like if you wanted to do that, why don't you just get a fucking shotgun or something? Yeah, old Jonah does make a good point. I think it's Jonah that she's wasting ammo. And obviously she was raging and stuff and everything. So she wanted to just destroy the room. But it was a bit of a waste of ammo. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a weird one, isn't it? So the crew find another lab and it's filled with dead bodies. Jonah notices these are the same crew that they brought in as cargo. One guy is still alive. Purvis. <laughs> fucking stupid name. Sounds worse than Spunkmire. <laughs> So, Ripley senses that there is an alien inside him. Ren says he cannot remove it as the lab is out of order. Christie suggests killing him quickly. Purvis kicks off, asking what's inside him. Ripley explains... About a hundred times. Yeah, because it just keeps cutting. Like They say a sentence like, what's inside me? What's inside me? And it just keeps cutting back until he kicks off. Oh, man, he says it more times than why don't you just freeze him or ease down in Aliens. I think he says what's inside me about 30 times. And obviously you'd be fucking panicking knowing something's inside you, but this guy goes mental. Well, yeah, because you've got to feel for him a little bit because he kind of wakes up and he's like saying, oh, I was on my way to like doing like a nickel refinery for work or something. And now I've woken up in this fucking room with Ron Perlman staring at me and dead bodies everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. That's enough to give anyone nightmares. So... Yeah, I wouldn't want to wake up like that. (laughs) So Ripley explains that these guys kidnapped his crew and their cryotubes, sold them to another human who put a monster inside him, and in a few hours it will burst out of him and he's going to die. They decide to take him with them so they can freeze him. Good old Parker, he'd be proud. I do think that. (laughs) They find that the area they need to pass is now flooded somehow, so they need to swim down approximately 90 feet through the mess chamber. Was it 90 metres? One or the other. Christy informs Brees that they need uh, to lose the chair know. and strap him to his back. As the group are swimming, Jonah notices two aliens pursuing them. He shoots a grenade and kills one, but the other grabs Hillard and drags her away, drowning her. As the group reach the end and find the opening is sealed with alien hive material, 
They desperately break through, only to find eggs have been placed there that aliens have set a trap. A facehugger jumps out onto Ripley. They all take a breath and go back underwater, but another alien is approaching. Christy fires another miraculous shot and bounces grenades off the ceiling, and they land, destroying all the eggs. The group begin climbing out and ascending a ladder. Ripley follows after tearing the facehugger from her. Ren reaches the top and says he can't open the door. Paul gives him her weapon and he shoots her. She falls down into the water. Ren escapes and locks the door behind him. The alien jumps out onto the ladder and spits acid at Christie's face. Jonah shoots the alien, but Christie succumbs to his wounds. He unstraps himself from Brees and falls to a watery grave. Now, this is one sequence I always remember from this movie, is this um, underwater one. It looks a little bit ropey now, but yeah, it's still okay. a really good sequence. Yeah, it is. And it, it, like you say, it's one that I always remember as well. It's the one thing, if someone asked me to you know, explain one part of this film before watching it again yesterday, this would be the one bit I could probably talk about a bit more. I, w- I will say, they do hold their breath for a fucking long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, un- they're underwater for ages, aren't they? I mean, I'm, I'm not very good at holding my breath and I'm shit at swimming, so I definitely would have died in that scene. But they're underwater for a bloody long time. But there we go. I did. I like the fact, and that was one thing I had forgotten about this scene. I like the fact that the aliens had set that trap when they came out. That made them look more like aliens, what an alien would do. And I'd forgotten about that part. Yeah, I think the trap was really good. And again, that's the kind of intelligence that you expect from them. They kind of anticipate their prey like a hunter would. Um, you speaking yeah. about not being, I'm not a good swimmer and I couldn't have held my breath for like fucking 20 seconds, let alone like 10 minutes underwater. But they show, like, Hillard is obviously nervous about going underwater. Why is she carrying two fucking massive yeah. guns on her? That's obviously going to slow her down. So no wonder she fucking, if the alien didn't grab her, she was going to drown from carrying them, wasn't she? Yeah, exactly. But she she had the, as we call it, the Lambert moment then, where she sort of had a moment of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Apparently when they were shooting the sequence as well, it was pretty hard to do. They actually had to put milk in the water. So that it had the right tint so they could film it properly and it made it a bit more gloopy. But Winona Ryder was really uncomfortable being underwater and it's quite a difficult sequence to shoot, which I can imagine any underwater scene's got to be pretty difficult. Uh, it made me feel a bit claustrophobic just watching it. Just the thought of holding your breath for that long just made me feel a bit uneasy, which obviously is a good thing because it's supposed to. I, I definitely wouldn't have liked to have filmed that. I'm not, as I say, I'm not a great swimmer and I can't hold my breath for long and I don't really like swimming or going underwater, so... I definitely wouldn't have enjoyed filming that. But if they were paying me millions, I'd have given it a go. Yeah, I mean, that's what stuntmen are for anyway. So I just got someone like that in. Apparently, this actually goes back a little bit to what you said when we did our alien one a little while ago. You said like the flamethrower wouldn't work and it would have killed the people using it, wouldn't it? Because it would have sucked all the air out. Yeah. The, the, same, the yeah. similar thing apparently would have happened with Jonah's grenade because of how fast shockwaves move through water. If he'd have fired that grenade and it hit the alien, the shockwave would have killed everyone because it would have just rippled through at such a high velocity. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those things we're not really supposed to think about, are we? Uh, Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's just a good action sequence, but when you actually break it down, it makes no sense. And just go back. Yeah, there's one, I was going to say, just before I forget, there's one bit, I think it's Jono who's hanging down, shooting like fucking crazy at the alien underneath Christian Greece. How does he not hit them at least once? Oh, no, he's not exactly aiming, is he? He's just kind of like got his guns angled no. randomly. Yeah, and he's just blasting away at this alien, not really making much impression on him, but also not killing the two guys underneath him. I thought, how the fuck have you not hit them at least once? Yeah, because it's kind of dramatic. He kind of like puts his legs on the rungs of the ladder and like 
he goes upside down, doesn't he? It's obviously his big dramatic theme. Yeah. But yeah, he would have fucking at least blown Christie away. He was obviously having a bad time as it was. Yeah, he wasn't having the best of times, was he? Just um, thinking back to the Purvis scene, this is another thing that irritates me. You'd be surprised to know. But like when they find him, <laughs> he's still got his glasses on. Now, you can't tell me that he would have been put in front of an alien egg with his glasses on, let alone have the face hugger on him and wake up at this one moment with his glasses still intact. It just wouldn't have happened, would it? He wakes up and he looks like he's just come out of like his fucking nine to five job in the office. One excellent shout. Why didn't I think of that? Shows how much attention I was actually paying. I mean, I wear glasses a lot of the time now, certainly for, for reading and stuff. And yeah, no, that just wouldn't have happened. Absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I have to wear glasses as well. You know, I'm getting old, I'm going blind. But yeah, it just really wound me up. It's like he yeah, wakes same. up and he's like, his glasses are in perfect condition. And it's like, you wouldn't have had them on. They would have taken <laughs> them off you, you well, not him personally. It's a this shit writing, shoddy movie. Yeah, that's a that's a massive error that I didn't even pick up on. But yeah, well said. And just before we do move on, there's another error here, and this is the first of two of these I noticed. When Ren gets to the top of the um, the ladder, and he's like, "Oh, I need your gun. I can't open the panel." And Cole just hands him a pistol like a fucking numpty. He turned. Yeah, like yeah exactly. <laughs> He turned around, he's like, you really are way too trusting. And his mouth is definitely not in sequence. Like, he's not even like mouthing the same words as what he says. It's just completely out of kilter. Did you notice that? Yeah, there's a few bits, isn't there? Um, there's another one at the end we'll probably talk about where, yeah, they're, they're literally not saying the words that they're actually saying, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's really, really obvious. Plus, the CGI underwater isn't bad, but when the alien jumps up onto the ladder, that looks like Alien 3 quality compared to the effects we'd seen thus far in the movie that have all been pretty good, at least from the alien perspective. But the one that jumps up onto the ladder is too shiny and it's really plasticky. Yeah, it did look a bit shit. I don't know whether they're trying to make it look a bit wet, even though obviously they're covered in slime most of the time anyway. But yeah, it was a bit shoddy. I mean, most of the effects in this are passable at worst and some actually look quite good, but that was a bit of a shit one. So while reeling from the attack, plus calling Christie's deaths, the door begins to open. Members of the team with guns prepare for another fight. The door slides open and reveals Cole standing there. The shot group gather themselves and follow her. They stop in a nearby room. De Stefano asks Cole if she is wearing body armour, but Ripley says she saw the bullet hit her in the chest. Ripley open, opens Cole's jacket to see a hole filled with milky white liquid and states, you're a robot. The group start flapping and De Stefano points out Cole must be an Anton. Synthetics designed by synthetics prior to androids being made illegal. They soon realize that Ren could screw them if he gets into the computer systems and convince Cole to patch in and lock Ren out and open up a path to the Betty. Ripley and Cole head to the chapel to use an access terminal. Cole informs Ripley before the recall of androids, she hacked the mainframe and found out about the government's plans for the alien, Ripley's history, and she decided she can't stand by and let the human race destroy itself. Ripley states she used to feel the same. She once tried to save humanity, but it didn't work out. She remembers a blonde girl who had bad dreams, but can't remember her name now. She can't, Cole can't um, alter the docking course of the Eureka, so they decide to set it on a crash course to an unpopulated area of Earth. So now we know that Cole's an android. How does she fall through that water and then get up to that fucking door, wherever, you know, <laughs> She could have done that. Why didn't they just take that route in the first place? Yeah, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? I mean, it's the typical thing, isn't it, in these films? There's got to be an android, really. Um, obviously, there isn't one in three, apart from a mashed-up bishop. 
But yeah, I mean, was it a shock when we found out Winona Ryder was an android? I can't remember. It's quite the first time I saw this. But it it does make sense how she knew so much because when I watched this again yesterday for the first time in years, I was thinking, how does she know so much? I knew she was an android, but I couldn't remember how she knew so much about Ripley and the alien and stuff because when she's talking to Ripley in that early scene, she seems to know everything, doesn't she? And I was thinking, how the fuck do you know all this? Yeah, because she's like, you're a thing, they grew you in a fucking lab and all that sort of stuff. And they also, like, again, when you know, you kind of notice a couple of things. They didn't do it as well as they did it in the first Alien with Ash, because that's just done really well, I think. But even a bit before they go underwater, she's like, oh, don't have to tell anyone to take a deep breath. And it's kind of like she's trying to hide the fact that she might be a synthetic. Yeah, and obviously they needed her to be a synthetic for this ending scene. I mean, she pretty much saves a day in a way, doesn't she? So in that respect... They kind of needed to wrap it up in a way, and having a synthetic kind of fits in with the whole alien thing, doesn't it? It does, yeah. You can't, they, they just work so well. It's kind of like a Ridley Scott um, trope. And even in a recent show called Raised by Wolves, like he's got androids in that, and they're the same design as they are an alien. So I think the designs are pretty cool for their androids, like the Milky Blood. And I quite like yeah, the backstory of the whole Anton thing about synthetics designed by synthetics, and there was like, a, a war between synthetics and humans and androids were outlawed. And I felt like that in itself is a story that should be told in a different movie. That sounds like quite interesting, but it just kind of gets breezed over here. Yeah, it does a bit. Um, I did like the fact that, like I say, she had the white goo inside her. No pasta bacon ain't a beach inside her, though. Not that I could see anyway. Maybe she stores them somewhere else, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but it was inside Ash's head, wouldn't it? So maybe she chopped her head off. We'd have seen them. <laughs> okay, oh. Has to bake an anal bee. That's never gonna. It's <laughs> never gonna stop, is it? Every time. <laughs> We've been talking about that for about the last twenty years, so I can't see it going away anytime soon. <laughs> I did like the bit um, when they're in the chapel and chatting and stuff. That like Ripley does again. Semi remember Newt. Like Newt's quite an integral yeah. character to Ripley, I think. And I like the fact that even in Alien Three, obviously, as brief as she's in it, the impact of her relationship with Newt means so much to her. Yeah, I, I did pick up on that as well. Um, she says she remembers a girl, but can't remember her name, doesn't she? Yeah, it's good. But, um, the thing I've got an issue with here, again, <laughs> is <laughs> they give Cole a motive, because um, she's been a bit of a wild card up until now. Like I say, you know, she knows everything, but we don't know why. Now we know that obviously she's an android. She hacked the mainframe. She learned all the dirty secrets and decided to try and save humanity for some reason. But she says, like, she wants to do all that. And now she, um, but she came to the Eureka willing to blow it up and sacrifice, obviously, maybe the crew of the Bay or do anything to stop the alien species getting back to Earth. So why now is she willing to freeze Purvis and take him back to Earth knowing he's got an alien inside him? Yeah, I thought that was really weird as well. I mean, Purvis, bless him, is not his fault, but you can't bring him with you, can you? You've got to, you've got to kill him, unfortunately. That's exactly what the the company one or the military in this case isn't it like the, yeah. whole, the whole mission for ripley is to make sure well for the first three movies is just to make sure the alien doesn't get back to earth yeah exactly that would just be defeating the whole purpose if one of them gets back to earth then you're gonna have hundreds within hours probably the way they seem to multiply these days yeah and ripley when call comes back and they find out she's an android she says she took it in the chest but when she opens her jacket she's got a hole in her stomach yeah. it's like if you were stood that close, you would have seen that bullet go in there. But like the fact that she says chest and then like it's a massive hole in her guts, it's like that's just yeah, it's in her side and it more around the side of her stomach. Doesn't 
Ripley at this point, it might be a bit later on. There's not a lot of the film left. Doesn't she just randomly put her fingers in it and starts sort of putting, like, I don't know, like just moving the goo in that around. It's like, why are you doing that? I don't know if it's in, yeah. actually in that scene. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, I, I mentioned, I was going to mention that, sorry. Um, when they're in the um, chapel, she does that because Cole's like saying, oh, it hurts or something. And Ripley just starts putting her fingers in and <laughs> around. It's like, you don't know how to fix a fucking android. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if that was just emphasising the fact she was an android and, you know, she was hurting, I suppose, in inverted commas. But I just thought that was really strange, the fact that she just sticks her fingers in this hole and starts farting about the goo inside her. Maybe it's another sexual thing. Yeah, it's something. Give it that. <laughs> now, before we move on, I'm going to tell you something else that annoys me. <laughs> I know you're not it yet. <laughs> so, in the alien universe i'm not obviously in every sci-fi movie does it differently like star wars has light speed and star trek has warp speed but in the alien universe they don't seem to have fast and light travel so in all the movies they've had to go into cryo sleep to travel distances like the nostromo journey was like a year long wasn't it like a year-long mission yeah. whatever it was now this fucking ship the eureka has managed to travel from unregulated space which must be fucking miles and miles away back to earth in under three hours how the fuck does that happen? Does a ship like move at like fucking warp speed without anyone knowing about it? But in any <laughs> alien movie, that would have taken months to get back to Earth. And that's from designated planets and areas that we know of. This is in the unregulated space, which must be light years away. Well, not light years, but you know what I mean? A fucking distance away. Yeah, I did think that as well. The only thing I can say in its defence is 200 years after Alien 3. So maybe there is some kind of advance there, but it's certainly not mentioned or anything, is it? It just seems to be a given that it's going to be there in three hours. Yeah, good point. Yeah, they might have better engines and stuff. But I just think it kind of, it just breaks all the carefully kind of like created world that we've had up until now. They just kind of like flap their knob all over it in this movie, don't they? It's just such a shoddy <laughs> fucking script. <laughs> it, it does break a lot of the, the sort of stuff in the original films, yeah. <laughs> so... As JT said, we thankfully haven't got much left. So the group continue <laughs> on to the Betty, but Ripley stops after finding slime on the floor. She says she can hear the aliens and they are close. The flooring gets pulled down and she falls into the alien nest. Call and Purvis watch as Ripley sinks into the hive. Ripley is being carried by an alien and we now see a shot of the Yuriga approaching Earth. As the group board the Betty, Purvis gets shot and Ren appears holding a pistol to Call's head saying he wants her to patch back into the Yuriga and reset its course. Purvis gets up and storms towards Ren. Ren shoots him several times, but to no effect. Purvis attacks him and hits him against the wall. Or hits his head against the wall, sorry. Ren drops to his knees and Purvis stands behind him, screaming. The chestburster comes out of his stomach and goes through Ren's head. Jonah, Call, and Stefano shoot it. What do you think of this? Um, there's some good and there's some bad bits, I have to say. Yes, the rest of the movie, um, probably mainly bad. Um, the bit where Ripley falls through the floor and she's in with the aliens in the nest, um, just looks fucking stupid. Didn't didn't like that at all. Just thought that was really weird. Um, but I did like the chestburster, the way it, it comes out and goes through his skull. I thought that was pretty gnarly. Although the chestburster seems to be coming out for quite a long time. It seems to take quite a while to emerge, doesn't it? He managed to batter the shit out of Ren before it does actually come out of him. Well, that's it. It's like, why is he suddenly invincible? Because he gets shot like in the shoulder, which is fine. He kind of falls down. Then he starts spasming because the chest burst is coming out. Then when he's going towards Ren, Ren shoots him like 10 fucking times. Like, 
but he just manages to keep going, grabs him and like whacks his head against the wall. And it's like surely that would have put him down because he's not in, invincible, is he? He's still a human. He's not like he's yeah, strong. Exactly. An alien. Yeah, he's got an alien inside him. That doesn't turn you into an alien. It still means you're a human with an alien inside you. So yeah, that bit is is poor. I mean, he batters the shit out of old uh, Ren, doesn't he? With, with smashing his head, and then yeah, the bit where he actually kills him, I thought was quite cool. I mean, that's a good way to go out, isn't it? If you're going to go out, take someone else with you who's an arsehole. Yeah, the guy who's, who's responsible, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really brutal scene as well. It's so bloodthirsty. And I like the way, although the CGI is a bit ropey, the camera kind of goes down Purvis's throat, doesn't it? And you see the alien waking up. Then you see it comes out and goes through Ren's skull. And that. it is a badass sequence. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the way that looked. It does look a bit ropey, but I thought that was quite quite a good way of seeing a, a chestburster. It's a bit different and... I'll um I'll give that a thumbs up that part of the film because there aren't many so let's give it some credit for that that scene. Yeah, no, it's a good brutal scene. I'll give it that. But I completely concur that that bit where Ripley's kind of laying on the hive and slowly falls <laughs> into it. I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching now? Yeah, that was very strange. Yeah, really weird. I just, no, I just don't like that at all. <laughs> so in the hive, we see Gediman cocooned and he is talking about the queen adding a new cycle. She no longer lays eggs, but has taken a single reproductive system from Ripley. Ripley watches as the queen gives birth to a new creature. The creature approaches the queen, but attacks and kills her. It then turns to Ripley and approaches, believing Ripley to be its mother. It then kills Gediman, and Ripley escapes. The group are attempting to launch the Betty, but Reese is struggling to get it launched. They see Ripley on the cameras and open the hatch. Ripley jumps from a platform and lands in the docking bay. She closes the hatch and heads up to the cockpit. As they are attempting to leave, a breach report shows. Jonas states the hatch is always breaking, so Cool heads down to fix it while Ripley takes over as pilot. Cool is trying to close the hatch when the newborn appears behind her. It reaches out and closes the hatch, and the ship leaves the Eureka docking bay. De Stefano enters the cargo bay and is killed by the newborn. Cool rolls under some units and tries to hide, but the newborn begins reaching for her. Ripley senses something is wrong and heads to the cargo hold, leaving Jonah to help fly with Brees. She finds a newborn has called and commands her to put her down. The newborn approaches Ripley, who cuts her hand on its teeth and flicks blood at a small window. The acid melts through and the vacuum sucks the creature out. Ripley and Call hold on as the ship enters atmosphere. I hate this entire sequence. <laughs> there's, no, there's no words. Um... Where do you start? The um, the hybrid alien looks fucking terrible. Oh, it's got eyes, and when its tongue comes out, it's like some big, long human-like tongue, and it starts licking Ripley. Oh, just awful. And this is another scene. <laughs> yeah, this is another scene where the lip sync's completely out. When Matey Boy's hanging up on the wall cocoons and he's talking about shit, he's not saying anything, but he's actually speaking a massive, long dialogue. I don't know if you noticed that one. I did, yeah. That was the other one I know because he looks like he's just literally mumbling. But obviously, yeah. he must have recorded his dialogue and then played it over the top or something. But yeah, when he's hanging there, it doesn't even look like he's speaking. He looks like he's almost incoherent, like a fucking pisshead trying to order a kebab or something. Just like blah, 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 blah. It's just it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Thumbs up again to the to the hybrid thing. I mean, it it kills him and it kills the queen, so it does a couple of good things. And the way it kills De Stefano was quite brutal. But, crushes his head, doesn't it? Like a fucking yeah, like a grape. Yeah, it does. But when it when it goes up to Ripley and it starts almost making human noises again, doesn't it? It's just 
I can see what they tried to do, but no, it just doesn't work, does it? It doesn't, no. And it's like, I tell you what, I listeners out there, you may have read this, but I sent you something the other day about the um, like one of the original versions of Translucent Alien that Ridley Scott um, was going to put into his movie. And that had a bit more of a skull-shaped front face, didn't it? It didn't have the longer face. And I wonder yeah. if they went back to that design for inspiration because it kind of looks like that, but they just made it look too... They, it doesn't look human, but it's more humanoid. I would have preferred it to look more alien. Yeah, it doesn't really look like anything, does it? It just looks fucking stupid. <laughs> and also, <laughs> when it goes up against Ripley in the final scene, well, not up against her, it sort of walks up to her, it looks like it's grown already, or is that just because you don't see the scale of it in the original bit where it's born? It looks like it's already got massive. Yeah, it's hard to gauge because, like, the Queen's given birth, isn't she, like, with a big fucking, I don't know, vagina thing that she's got now. Yeah. It comes out, and you can't tell if it looks big there because it's up on a platform. But then when it kind of goes down the Ripley, it just seems to be face-to-face with her. So, yeah, maybe it did grow really quickly. But the make, there is a flaw here that um, I read about earlier, and it makes perfect sense. So the alien was somehow given, or the queen alien, sorry, was given a human reproductive system somehow within the last five minutes. Um, <laughs> so how was the queen impregnated? Because normally aliens produce asexually. Like she just lays eggs. She doesn't need a mate. She just lays eggs because that's what they do. If not, they use the metamorphosis system from the original movie. So who would mm. have impregnated the queen to give to get her pregnant with this um, newborn or whatever the fuck it's called? Like nothing was there to fertilise her because no other aliens yeah. of that kind have been made at that point. That's a good point. I mean, I have read, but this wouldn't, have sort of come to this that the original design of the alien humid hi- human hybrid had mixed male and female sex organs which would just looked even more fucking stupid um, but that doesn't obviously explain in any way how the queen would have been impregnated because obviously that's what came out of the queen so yeah fuck knows again it's probably something we're not supposed to think about but unfortunately we do yeah, it's just a case, obviously, the movie makers, again, wanted to give the audience something different, like a new big bad in this case. But I think I can kind of see what they're aiming for, but it just fucking misses the mark. It doesn't do anything for me at all. I'd rather just forget it. <laughs> like I said, I don't think I want to ever watch this movie again after reviewing it. It was just a shame because there are no. some good bits in it. But another, yeah. And another issue here is like, when Ripley obviously cuts herself and flicks her blood at the window and the alien or the newborn gets sucked out, obviously that's actually a throwback to how Lambert or Parker were supposed to die in the original alien draft that never happened. And that was pretty cool that they came back to that idea. But again, Ripley's hand is pissing with blood and she holds onto a chain once the vacuum starts pulling them. Surely that would have melted the chain and it would have snapped and she wouldn't be able to hold onto it. (laughs) Good point. And it's another case of people holding on and not being sucked out when something you know twice their size is being sucked out but also that wouldn't have actually happened because scientifically i've got it here the difference between earth and normal air pressure and a vacuum of space is only one atmosphere so nowhere near enough to suck out the creature's body through such a small hole so it would have never happened anyway but then obviously this whole film's fantasy so we can probably wash over that part that's really interesting yeah it makes perfect sense because at one point like, it gets pulled against it and it kind of starts pulling away doesn't it and then it comes back again and it all starts being sucked out and yeah. turning into jelly i read um <laughs> something about like the depressurization like the whole ship because the ship wasn't that big and considering the design of it like the whole ship would have depressurized instantly and even with all that suction coming out 
whether the fucking creature was there or not, just from a depressurization point of view, that whole ship would have depressurized in seconds. Like they would not have been able to like yeah. enter the atmosphere and obviously fly down from that altitude without they'd all be dead. No, well that sounds very feasible. I mean the way the alien gets sucked out and it all sort of implodes and then its organs get sucked out through it. You know, that's a bit of a different way. It gets sucked out into space again, but in a different way to the other couple of times we've seen that happen. But it's just the fact that it was such a shit alien that got sucked out that way. It is. And this comes back to what you said earlier as well about it makes human noises. It's almost speaking in this part. It's like screaming, yeah. isn't it? Points did you pick up on that? It sounded like it was actually saying like, yeah, human words and stuff. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. It, it is almost talking. And um, obviously Ripley, well, Ripley 8, it's not really Ripley, is it? has got mixed emotions. She seems to have almost become human in the last hour because now she's upset she's lost another child, again, in inverted commas, because technically she's only lost one in the whole course of these films. But, yeah, I mean, she seems to have got very emotional very quickly, doesn't she, from someone who's, you know, not human in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and it kind of just takes away, like... Again, I think Sigourney Weaver's acting is fantastic. Like, the way she portrays emotions in this is in all the movies to be honest um it was really good and i like that she did a really good job of making ripley 8 feel different from ellen ripley but in this sequence like you say suddenly it just she starts crying doesn't she at one point or nearly she's tearing yeah. up and she's like i'm really sorry as the alien's been sucked out of the, yeah. the hole and it's like kind of losing this character that you've kind of recreated yeah exactly i mean obviously to her that was a child it'd been half alien or whatever you want to say she is i guess she didn't find it as ugly as we probably do <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah because obviously the alien side of her might just sort of see or like the more kind of like pheromone side of things instead of what it actually looks like but who knows yeah. it's, it's still shit as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah you, you can try and try and make like excuses for it but <laughs> there's no other excuse it is pretty shit it is which brings us to our final sequence which shows the Eurego crash landing and blowing up. The Betty lands in some form of wreckage wasteland, and we see Cole and Ripley talking. Cole mentions that the authorities will likely arrive soon. A person could get real lost out here if they wanted to. She asks Ripley what she wants to do. Ripley says she's not sure. She is a stranger here herself. The camera pans up, and we see what appears to be Paris, which is laying in complete ruins. Now, this is the first time we've actually seen Earth and an alien franchise at this point and i'm just like what the fuck has happened here because when the Eureka crashes it looks like it's crashing in like south america but the detonation the shockwave looks like it would have fucking destroyed half the bloody country yeah it's pretty mad isn't it it's quite a big explosion it does look pretty shit i have to say cgi <laughs> it <wise>. does, yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean i i thought this and i'd again forgotten about this end i could remember about the, the hybrid getting sucked out of the hole but I couldn't remember this at all. Um, so I was like thinking that's obviously Earth. But then, like I say, the state of Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower and it's pretty much fucked and the whole city's flat. I'm thinking, well, if the aliens did get back to Earth, it's already destroyed anyway. So, you know, what the fuck have they got left to destroy? Yeah, it's just really, I don't know if this was supposed to maybe lead on to something or be part of a bigger picture, but it's like, obviously, I don't, I know obviously they're in space, so they can probably go wherever they want, but like, Eurigo crashes in what looks like, as I say, South America, and they end up landing in bloody Paris, as it turns out. But it's like, fuck me, is there anywhere on Earth that's actually worth being? No wonder bloody Big Ron wanted to stay in space. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, this might be something to do with the fact that the original idea Joss had was it was going to be set on Earth, wasn't it? So maybe this is a throwback to something he wanted to, to use in his original idea for the film. I don't know. It was a bit weird, though, because Earth looks completely knackered. So he might as well let the aliens come down and run riot on it anyway. Yeah, and the problem is, again, like the way the movie opened, it doesn't feel like Alien the way it opens. And it doesn't feel like Alien the way it closes either. We just sort of get that shot of like a really destroyed Paris. And it looks like there's... Looks like there's been a sandstorm. Like all oh, the skies, like kind of burnt red, isn't it? Like there's been some kind of like, I don't know, just some crazy fucking sandstorm or nuclear war or something. Yeah. And it's just it just fades out, and it like, I just sort of this movie ended. It's like I just don't get it. I don't see the fucking need for it. Yeah, it was a really weird ending. Like you say, for a number of reasons, it definitely didn't feel like an alien ending. I mean, the thing getting sucked out of the hole, and then maybe just a shot of them on the ship going to land would probably been enough to end it. You didn't have to actually see them on Earth because then it's opened up a multitude of questions it didn't need to as to how the fuck did Earth get like that and what are they going to do next because we're never going to find out by the looks of it. Well, yeah, because as we know, obviously, this is the last in the the kind of Ripley saga and the sequence of Alien because next it goes into prequel territory with Prometheus and then I don't even think now, like, there's still rumours of what they're going to do with the franchise. Disney have got, like, a thousand plans, and they're probably going to cough all of them up anyway. But it's, like, not being funny, Sigourney Weaver's probably a bit old to come back and play Ripley now, and I don't think she'd want to and sort of tarnish the legacy of the character. No, probably not. I mean, I'm surprised she did this one. I thought maybe Alien 3 would have been enough for her to say, let's call it a day now. But obviously, like, say, $11 million probably had something to do with it. But she's so tied up in the franchise. You know, and she she hasn't exactly you know she's not short of a bob or two, so maybe maybe she looks back on this and thinks, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And again, like, I think she signed on based on the original script, which obviously got changed quite heavily. Obviously, the director put his own kind of flair on there, but it is a strange one. I would say, um, obviously, for those listening, you probably have seen this movie, but if you haven't seen it. I wouldn't go out of your way to watch it. It's one of the probably only, it's the only alien movie I couldn't recommend anyone going out of their way to watch. Everything else, even Prometheus and Covenant, I think are better than this. And I quite like those two for what they are, but this movie just kind of tarnishes the Ripley storyline. It does, and it's such a shame because Alien 3, as we talked last week, is flawed, but it, it was a good enough ending. It, it, it was a film that stood up on its own, and this just doesn't i just don't know it just makes a mess of things it didn't to be didn't need to be made a mess of if that makes sense yeah i agree and as as we've already said going along like there's some a couple of good sequences just absolutely mushed in with loads of crap it's like oh yeah i want to do this sequence but we don't know how we're going to get there so let's just throw loads of stupid ideas at it just so we can shoot <laughs> this one scene it might be good and it means absolutely nothing because yeah. the rest of the movies wank. But yeah, I really, I know <laughs> we don't really do ratings in our reviews, but I'd have to put this one down as like an avoid. There's no need to watch this movie. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, avoid unless unless you're really intrigued by what we said, in which case we've we've done a job. Um, I mean, this has got a 63 meta uh, Metacritic score, which I don't think is too bad for a bad film. That's fairly high, isn't it? I thought it'd be way below 50. Yeah, definitely. Considering like how much hate Alien Three gets, and like we said, based off the assembly cut, especially that movie isn't as bad as everyone says it is. And this point yeah. always seems to be a bit better, like perceived when I speak to people. 
I mean, a couple of like, like yourself and my buddies who are like properly into movies and this franchise particularly don't particularly like it. But your average kind of viewer usually says that they quite like this movie. And I'm not sure if it's just because it's just a bit more along the popcorn. It's not an intelligent movie like the other ones are. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah, I think it's that whole thing. Same with the Star Wars films, isn't it? I mean, I, and I'm sure you're the same. In fact, I know you are, prefer the originals because we grew up with those. But a lot of the millennials will prefer the shit fucking prequels in the Disney explosion films, won't they? And that's probably why some people prefer this. The younger generation, no offence, that haven't grown up the originals probably see this as exactly as you say, a popcorn movie. You don't have to think too much. Yeah, yeah, well said. So there's not really much I have left to say about this movie apart from the fact is I don't like it. It kind of, you know, (laughs) I think Alien whether you like or don't like Alien 3 I think it was a good it was a good trilogy and it had a good ending overall and it should have just remained a trilogy and the prequels I don't have an issue with not as much as some people anyway and I just think this should have been a a, a trilogy and then the prequels can do their own thing along the way Alien 4 just sticks out a bit like a sore dick really so I'm going to stop waffling on because it's pretty clear that I don't like it and once again from Bread Roll this is me signing off Okay, just one last thing before we go. We need to um, give a dedication to the late, great Yafit Koto, who uh, obviously played Parker in our first Alien podcast, who sadly uh, passed away this week at the age of 81. So, great man. So, RIP, Yafit. Absolutely, yeah. I signed off too early, but yeah, good shout to Yafit. He was uh, (laughs) definitely um, a favourite character of ours. Um, Obviously, a great actor, as we all know. So, yeah, rest in peace, Yafit. Yeah, just quickly before we go, I, I watched the thing and I sent it to you. I didn't realise he was in so many films. I knew he'd been in a few, but he's in some bloody big films, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, especially, the main things I remember him from, obviously, Alien is the main one, but like, I don't watch James Bond movies. I'm not a big fan, but I know he was a villain in one of them, but also from The Running Man with Arnie. Like, he, was in, um, he was one of the sidekicks in that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. So, uh, yeah, great man. And uh, like we say, RIP, effort. You were, you were a good guy. Not that we knew you personally, obviously. So I'll sign off. (laughs) I'll sign off for just one sentence. Earth man, what a shithole.